0: So, a couple of subjects that are guaranteed to get people interested, especially younger people. Sex is one, and the end times is another. And whether there will be sex during the end times is the third subject, which will get them interested. Um, But we're going to look at the second coming of Christ uh, this morning. And it's a really easy subject, isn't it? And it's really clear. And it won't take long at all to cover all the bases. Now, that's a joke, all right? It would take forever, literally, to cover all of the different opinions. And what's happened to this doctrine or this truth in church history is interesting. At certain times in church history, this truth has become really prevalent and really important to the church. and at the start of the 20th century, when the Pentecostal movement was being birthed and spreading across the world, so our church, this church is part of that, we're part of the Elim denomination of churches, our forefathers, guys and girls that were the start of this movement, they were very consumed with this idea that Jesus was coming again. And this idea that Jesus was coming again was so strong for them that it galvanised how they lived their lives. And much of their evangelistic fervour and their passion was born out of an understanding that Jesus was coming again. And so it matters how we live. And that's been like that through church history. But at other times in church history it's gone to the extreme where people have been so consumed with this subject that they've forgotten that there's a world to reach And they've just been consumed with trying to work out the day, the hour, the times, the numbers, the symbols, and all what it means. And they get distracted. Other times in church history, this idea, this truth, this doctrine has totally been lost. And believers don't ever think about the truth that Jesus is coming again. But this morning, we're going to have a think about it. Is that alright? And what I want to do this morning is try and do four things with you. And then we're going to do something a little different at the end to try and engage with God in perhaps a different way. I want to look at what we were never meant to know. I want to look at what we're unsure about. I want to look at what we're certain about. And then finally, I want to look at what our response to all of this should be. What we were never meant to know. We were never meant to know the day or the hour that Jesus would come back again. Let me say it from the Bible. It could not be any clearer than this. Acts chapter 1 verse 6 and 7. Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. That's pretty clear, isn't it? It's not for you to know that. Matthew 24 36. Jesus says, no one knows about that day or hour. Who knows? No, no one. Not even the angels in heaven nor the Son. Not even Jesus knows, only the Father. So if the Bible couldn't be clearer than that, so why is it that for the last 2,000 years, in every generation, people have tried to work out the exact day and the hour? Even this year, May the 21st. Anyone remember that? There was a big thing all across the world, May the 21st. Next year is going to be fun, 2012. If you know your Mayan prophecy, then you'll know 2012 is when the world finishes, according to that. There was a film made about it. Even though God says really clearly in the Bible, no one, not even the Son, will know, we still try and work it out. We were never meant to know the day or the hour. I also believe we were never meant to know the specific nature of every single sign or event. You know, it says in Matthew 24, which is a key chapter in this whole issue, Jesus talks about the signs at the end of the age. He tells us to be watchful, to be alert, to be aware. But he never meant... For us to be consumed with trying to work out what every single thing means and how every single piece fits together. So, the mark of the beast, who is it? You know, 666, and in the day of the early church, it was Nero. Then, of course, it was Napoleon, and it was Hitler, and it was Saddam Hussein. And believe it or not, Bill Gates is the latest candidate that I found on the internet. Because if A equals 6, And B equals 12, the word computer adds up to 666. There you go, you heard it here first. We were never meant to work all that stuff out. The Whore of Babylon. You haven't heard many sermons on that, have you? eh? The Whore of Babylon. Who's the Whore of Babylon? Well, it's got to be the European Union. Because in Revelation, in the book of Daniel, it talks about the horror of Babylon having ten horns. And the European Union had ten countries. But now, of course, it has 27 and rising. So all that's gone out the window. We were never meant to work out every single event or sign. In fact, I want to push it further in your thinking this morning by going on to the second thing. And I want to declare to you, there are some things we are unsure about. You might be very sure about them. And you might think, oh, I'm sure. But I think we're unsure about these. And we're unsure about exactly how it's all going to work out. All right, And I'm going to try and uh, attempt to sketch it out for you in a very simple and basic way. There are two main roads you can go down looking at the kind of second coming of how it's going to happen. All right, And both of these roads have got hundreds of other roads that you can journey off as well. But these are the main two. The first one... I'm going to call the dispensation route. Oh, I love these pens. I love it. Okay, the idea with this one is basically that there will be a whole series of events, dispensations, and different things that will happen at various times. All right? So the one that you may have heard of is called the rapture. And you want to the rapture, not rupture. That's a whole different thing. But the rapture, when the church, the believers, get taken out of the world and meet Jesus in the air, that's called the rapture. Then there's this period of time called the uh, tribulation, where it's not going to be great for those who are left behind. Little clue there. Jesus then comes to the earth in bodily form. Okay, the second coming. Osh is in the millennial reign of Christ, lasts for a thousand years. All right, there's 144,000 Jewish evangelists around here as well, somewhere. The end of that, Satan gets released to wreak havoc on the earth for a short time, then gets cast into the lake of fire for eternity. Got it? Got it. So that's the dispensation route. All right, basically, within that, there's a whole load of other options and theories and roads out there. Okay, does the rapture occur before, mid, during, after? What happens? Blah 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 blah. That is what. That is the classical now evangelical and Pentecostal view. But, that has only been in existence since about 1850 or so. Prior to that, nobody ever talked about that. And actually, there are lots of scriptures that can back up all of this kind of view, and that's all great, but only in the last 150 years of believers believe that. You see, before that was another road, and I don't really know what to call it, other than calling it the historical road, which basically was that Jesus would return again in a single climactic event and when he comes again he will join his saints, believers on the earth and he'll join their efforts trying to usher in a new heaven and a new earth. That's what people believed for most of church history, that Jesus was coming again and this whole thing is going up and to the right rather than this which is kind of going down and then coming back up again at the end. Hope that's all clear to you, is it? (laughs) The reason I want to say that is that the reality is we're unsure about all of this. And people get locked up into this and this. And to be honest with you, I always used to believe that. I am much more leaning this way now personally. But I want to tell you, if you're into this and you're clear on that, that's great. The reality is we're unsure. We're really unsure. And it also depends on how you view books like Revelation. 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 How many of you read Revelation every night before you go to bed? Yeah, it's great. It's a great read, isn't it? That's a book of prophecy. How do you understand prophecy? Prophecy can be two things. It can be foretelling, looking at the future. It can also be forthtelling, looking at the present. And there are a whole group of people who would believe that Revelation is more about forthtelling than foretelling. It's more about speaking out what is already around us than predicting the future. So for instance, Babylon in the book of Revelation, in the book of the Bible actually, is always a picture of the dominant culture of the day. Jerusalem is a picture of the kingdom of God. So the Jerusalem, the Babylon in the first century for the early church would have been Rome. That's the dominant culture. That's the culture that tries to seduce people into the values of Rome. The whore of Babylon could then be the kind of way in which that culture seduces people to bowing down and worshipping that God rather than the true God. If we took that view, we would understand that in our context as the Western, consumeristic, success-oriented, me first generation and the whore of Babylon would be the media and marketing machinery that sucks the life out of us and gets us to bow down and worship the God of me and the God of consumerism rather than the true God. And there's a whole load of people out there who would believe that that's a much more... Um, truer way of looking at some prophecy, rather than this whole predicting all the events are in the future. The reality is, guys, we don't know, do we? We don't know. We're unsure about all this stuff. But I love what Tony Campolo says. Whenever he's asked about all of this, he says, do you know what? I'm on the welcoming committee, not the programming committee. (laughs) And so when it comes to working out how it's all going to work out, I don't know, he says, but I know this. I want to be one of those who's welcoming the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's lots of stuff we were never meant to know. There's lots of stuff we're unsure about. But I want to declare to you this morning, there is something that we are absolutely certain about. Jesus is coming back. Do I hear an amen? Jesus is coming back. And we can be absolutely categorically 100% certain about that truth Jesus is coming back not only is he our saviour not only is he our healer not only is he our Baptizer, but he is our coming king and I want to tell you some truths about the coming again of Jesus when Jesus comes again it will be a personal return Acts 1 verse 11 says this same Jesus who you see ascend to heaven will come again it will be a visible return. Revelation 1 verse 7 says, Every eye will see him. You see, when Jesus came first time, hardly any eye saw him. Because he came as a baby, didn't he? Came in obscurity, came in poverty, came in vulnerability. But when he comes again, every eye will see him. It will be a sudden return. Matthew twenty four forty four: The Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. So I want to tell you, if you're one of those Christians that tries to work out everything and, and, and gets all the books and all the tapes and all the stuff out there and you're trying to work out every symbol, and every, I want to tell you, in love, stop it for goodness sake. Stop it. You were never meant to do that. That was never what this was meant to be about. And the Bible says it'll be a sudden return when you do not expect it. So Just at that moment when you've got it all worked out, that ain't going to be when it's going to happen. Because it's going to be when you and I do not expect it. It's going to be a decisive return. Matthew 24 verse 14. And then the end will come. It's going to be decisive. It's going to be a glorious return. Matthew 24 verse 30. At that time the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky. All the nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. Not as a little baby, weak and vulnerable. But as the Son of Man, the glorious King, our coming King, Jesus Christ. Isn't that great? It is great, honestly. You don't sound like it. It really is fantastic. He's coming again. He's coming again. It's a glorious and it's a welcome return. You know, I have to say, you know, where, where I am now, you know, this whole kind of view of, of the ch- somehow God whips his church out and whips the spirit out and it, all the world is heading down the toilet. Do you know what? I believe that God has not finished with this planet. I believe that when it says in the Bible that God will bring a new heaven and a new earth, I believe that that's real. I don't believe it's a figment of our imagination. I don't believe it's on clouds. I don't believe it's a myth or a fairy tale or a legend. I believe it's true. And when Jesus comes back, it's going to be a welcome return. And when Jesus comes back, the Bible says that there's going to be no more tears. Isn't that going to be great? And eventually down that track there, when we get to that point in that new heaven and new earth, there's going to be no more sickness. There's going to be no more death. There's going to be no more hatred or or prejudice or racism or injustice. There's going to be no kids that are starving. There's going to be no elderly that are abused or or, or left in in, in indignity. There's going to be no housing issues. There's going to be no unemployment. There's going to be no um, uh, jealousy and anger between people. It's going to be fantastic. It's going to be fantastic. Until that day, we want to join with His Spirit in bringing that in, don't we? We want to bring that in as much as we... Are able to do one of the best illustrations, if you like, of trying to understand how this whole thing is about. In the Second World War, which I know many of you won't have remembered or won't remember, but you'll know about what I'm going to say. In the Second World War, uh, there was an incredibly important day called D-Day in 1944, when they the Allies landed on the beaches in Normandy, and when they established that beachhead in that place, from that moment the war was won. The outcome was assured. But how many of you know that from that moment on, there were still a lot of battles to be fought, weren't there? There were still a lot of people that took hits. There were still a lot of disappointments. There were still casualties. But from the moment that they landed and established the beachhead, the war was won. The outcome was assured. But there was a period of time between D-Day and that final day when it was all signed and all finished. V-E-Day as we call it. That period of time is the period that you and I are living in. D-Day, in our understanding, is when Jesus Christ went to the cross and not only was killed and crucified and buried, but resurrected. From that moment on, the outcome was assured, wasn't it? Yeah. That, it, it the, 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 game, the The game was up for the enemy then. It was all finished. But we live in between D-Day and V-Day when he will come again. And at that point when he comes again, all of this stuff, all of the war, all of the fighting, all of the pain, all of the sickness, all of the disappointment, all of the fear, that will all go. Hallelujah. Because Jesus is coming again. I'm excited about that, aren't you? And as we look at the truth of this and look at the certainty of this, the question that we want to look at this morning is what should our response be in the light of this? You see, you can go, there's three roads you can go. You can either go really passive and I don't care, which some of you are looking like that's the road you're going down this morning, if I'm honest. I don't care. He's just saying it, I don't, you know, I'm thinking about lunch, I'm thinking about music, I'm thinking about life, I'm thinking about work and whatever, and I can only see what's right in front of me, that's fine. That's the, it ain't going to happen, and I'm just not interested. That's, 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 that's up to you. You can go the other route and say, I'm going to get so into this, I'm going to work out every single bit of this, because I want to map it all out, and I think that's a real distraction. But there's a third way. Where we say, Lord, in the light of the fact that you're coming again, and I don't know when that will be, and you might not come again, but I might die, and and, and in the end, I'm going to see you both the same, aren't I? If you come again, I'll see you as you are, and if I die, I'll see you as you are. So uh, I don't know the day or the hour that either of those events are going to happen. So in the light of that, how am I going to live my one and only life? How am I going to live my one and only life knowing that I don't know when you'll come back and I don't know when you'll call me home? So if you'd have been in the Victorian era, you could talk about everything apart from sex and politics and religion, I think it was. If you live in our era, which of course you do, we talk about everything now apart from one thing, death. We don't talk about death. We don't really talk about eternity. We're still scared to death of talking literally about death and about eternity. In fact, um, ha, this is a, these are really you here. Kierkegaard, who's a philosopher, has made it clear. He says, our hyperactivism in Western society is a futile attempt to escape the awareness of death. He once wrote this, we're all like smooth, flat pebbles thrown over the surface of the pond. We dance and dance and dance along the surface until we run out of momentum and then each of us sinks into a hundred thousand fathoms of nothingness. How depressing is that? If you think that's depressing, th- try this. We all make noise on New Year's Eve because we're trying to drown out the macabre sound of grass growing over our graves. I've got more. Do you want more? <laughs> I'm going to work this now. Or, <laughs> these are all better, we keep time with clocks instead of hourglasses. This adds to the delusion because the hands of a clock go round and round, giving us the impression that our time goes on forever. Hourglasses is constant remind us that for each of us, time is running out. Now you can shut that away and say, oh, that's depressing. Or you can say, do you know what? That's the truth. Isn't it? That's the truth. And in the light of that, how are we going to live our one and only life? In the light of the fact that Jesus is coming again, or we don't know when we're going to be called to be back with him. How are we going to live our one and only life? Let me give you four things. Number one, we should be watchful. We should watch what's going on around our world. Everything that happens in Israel and the Middle East is important. Always was, always will be. The economic crisis, the economic situation in the world is important. What's going on in our culture is important. We should be watchful without being preoccupied. Secondly, we should be careful in how we live our life. There was a a bumper sticker in America that says, Jesus is coming back, look busy. (laughs) And I don't think that's what Jesus wants, but perhaps you could reframe it a little bit and say, Jesus is coming back, be ready. That's a whole different deal than look busy, isn't it? Quick, He's coming back, the boss is here. But but be ready, be ready because Jesus is coming back. So, So how do we live ready? Well, let me ask you a couple of questions. Is there any unconfessed sin in your life? You see, I wonder whether we think, well, do you know what, that, that, that sin that I've got in my life, that I really need to put that right, and I will put that right. When? Tomorrow. <laughs> or next day, or next year, or next month. But, but if, we, if we would really believe that Jesus could come back at any moment, or Jesus could call us home at any moment, then we deal with our unconfessed sin, not tomorrow, not next week, but right now. The psalmist in Psalm 32 in the message, look, listen to how he puts it. There was a time when I wouldn't admit what a sinner I was. But my dishonesty made me miserable, filled my days with frustration. My strength evaporated like water on a sunny day until I finally admitted all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide them. Isn't that beautiful? It's like I had all this stuff inside of me that you knew was there, and I didn't confess it to you and I didn't deal with it, and it was like my strength was evaporating like water on a sunny day. The moment I gave it to you, I felt so much better. You see, confession is telling God what he saw you do anyway. And it's not for his benefit, it's for yours. So when you do that, it's like you let it go and you feel, wow, I feel alive again. I'm not carrying all this stuff around in me any longer. Is there any unconfessed in your life? Secondly, are there any unresolved conflicts in your world? You know, the only time in the New Testament that... that, that The New Testament says that it's okay to slip out of church early. is not to put the dinner on or not to get the start of the game. But the only time it's acceptable, okay, the Bible says, is if it's to put right a relationship that you know is wrong. So this says in Matthew 5, don't come to the, and bring your gift to the altar. If you know there's someone has got something against you, first, go and put that right. Because if Jesus was to come at any moment, or if Jesus was to call you home at any moment, wouldn't it be tragic... If he said to you, what about that relationship with so-and-so? And And you said, yeah, yeah, I was going to get around to that. I was going to sort that out. I was going to go and have that conversation, but I didn't. Wouldn't it be tragic? But if we really believed in the second coming, and if we really believed in the reality of the afterlife, and if we really believed that, we'd say, do you know what? I am going to do all I can to put that right. Not tomorrow, but today. Right now. I'm going to put it right. I'm going to do all I can to walk towards it. Because if Jesus was to come back or to call me home, I want to say to him, I was trying to put that right. I don't want to say to him, I was going to get around to that, but I didn't. Huh. We should be careful. We should be purposeful. One of the things I love about looking into the, uh, some of the early churches... In the New Testament, is just getting a sense of where they were at. The church at Thessalonica, in 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians, Paul writes these letters to this church. These guys were like really pretty obsessed with the second coming. A lot of the rapture verses, never says rapture, are taken from 1 In fact, there's only one verse and it's in 1 Thessalonians. But this idea of Jesus coming again was really prevalent in the church at Thessalonica. But that didn't make them crazy people that were trying to work everything out And we're just consumed with, can we get to the top of a multi-story car park and wait for him to come and take us home? They they didn't live like that. They were purposeful believers. They were a purposeful church. And the Bible says of them, Paul says of them, do you know what? (laughs) Listen, you were a model to all the believers in the region. The way you lived your life in light of the second coming, you were a model in how you lived. And then he says this earlier on, it says, you were a model because of your work produced by faith, your labour prompted by love, your endurance inspired by hope. And he goes on to say, the Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and the Cai, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Isn't that awesome? Your faith in God has been known everywhere. Wouldn't you like that to be said of you? Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you like that to be said about this church? I tell you what, a church that is aware of, Or the church that lives with that conscious awareness that Jesus is coming again and that he could call us home at any moment is a church that lives out that kind of faith. It's a purposeful church. It's a church that says, do you know what, in the light of him coming or calling, we are going to do all we can to impact our world while we've got the time to do it. We're going to be ready. We're going to deal with our conflicts. We're going to deal with our sin issues. We're going to engage with our community. We're going to reach our friends. We're going to do all that. We're going to work on our character stuff. We are going to be open to all that because he's coming. And if he doesn't come, he'll call. And I don't know when that will be, so I'm going to be ready. We're going to live purposeful life. C.S. Lewis said, "If you read history, you'll find that the Christians who did most for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next." It is since we've largely ceased to think of the other world that we've become so ineffective in this. The final thing I want to say is that we should be hopeful. We should be hopeful. We should be watchful, careful, purposeful, and hopeful. You know, aren't you glad that God isn't finished with you yet? You? I am so glad that our God is not finished with this world yet. I don't believe that. I don't believe that God has created this world and is, you know, sin has come into the world and he sent Jesus and, and all of that and now he said, Do you know what? I sent Jesus and that's great but you know, it's going down the toilet. I don't believe that. God has not finished with this world yet. God has not finished with me yet and God has not finished with you yet. And we should live as hopeful people. The best is yet to come. Do you know what? It really is. The best is yet to come. And uh, it says, it, Paul says in Philippians 1 verse 6, that he who began a good work in you will complete it. And whether that's when we get to heaven or whether that's when Jesus comes again, I don't know what all that whole thing works. But I know this, he will complete it. We should live as hopeful people, expecting that Jesus coming again and we are going to live ready and waiting and watching and welcoming that. And I don't know whether you remember that um, uh, TV series, Mastermind, and when he used to read the questions out and and the bell used to go. Do you remember that? He said, I've started, so I'll finish. And I can get a sense that that's actually what God would say over your life and over us. I've started, so I will finish. Let's pray for a moment. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you this morning that you are an awesome God. Lord Jesus, you're not only our saviour, (laughs) that would be great enough. That was all it was. That would be fantastic. But you are our healer. You don't just heal us physically, but Lord, you heal us emotionally. You heal us um, psychologically, Lord, sexually, relationally. Lord, you want to heal hurts and wounds. Not only are you our saviour, not only are you our healer, but you are our baptizer. You fill us with your spirit, not just once, but ongoing. You know, you know those streams of living water we spoke about last week. That's your plan for us every day of our lives. That we would live in connection to the Spirit of Christ. That we would stay plugged in and connected to the life of God. You're our Saviour. You're our Healer. You're our Baptizer, But Lord, you are also our Coming King. And Lord, in the light of that, God, we say to you this morning, we want to live lives ready. We want to be watchful. We want to be careful in how we live. We want to be purposeful. and We want to be hopeful, Lord Jesus. Father, if there's any of us here this morning and we need salvation, we have never fully surrendered our lives to you. We, we've never bowed our knee. We've never invited you to be the Lord and the leader of our life. We've never really put ourselves off the throne and asked you to sit on the throne. God, I pray. That we wouldn't leave it till tomorrow, but we do it today. We do it now. God, I pray for any of us that need a touch of you, we need healing in some way, physical or any other way. God, let us not put it off till tomorrow, but let us ask you today. Lord, if there's any of us that need to be filled with the Spirit again, perhaps we've never been filled with the Spirit. We've never spoken with tongues. We've never had that relationship with you. We've never known that fullness of the Spirit. God, let us not put it off till we learn more or till we understand more or until we hear more. But let us ask you today. Lord, we don't know about any other day. We only know about right now. And Lord, I pray that in these moments that you've given us, that we would be ready. God, if there's anyone here that needs to walk across this room and have a conversation with someone else, there's anyone here that needs to pick up a phone, send an email, send a text, write a letter, knock on a door to put something right, then God, please, help us to do it. Not tomorrow, but today. And God, as we take communion now, we remember, oh Lord, that you instituted this 2,000 years ago. And you said, do this in remembrance of me until I come. Lord, things are going to change around church and they should do, but this won't. Because you said, do this in remembrance of me until I come. And you said, I won't drink of this again until that day. And Lord, there's something in this symbolism that is so powerful where we remember what you've done. We remember what you want to do and we remember what you're going to do. We look back, we look around, we look in, and we look forward. We look beyond, we look across. God, I pray that as we take communion together, I pray something transcendent will happen here. Something that will open our eyes to plug us back into what you've done, to connect us with all of those heroes of the faith who've gone before us, that will plug us into this worldwide body of Christ that we belong to, that will project us forward, to that day when you come again. Lord, do something in these moments that just open our eyes again into how great you are and to how awesome this thing is that we're plugged into, the body of Christ, the kingdom of God. Lord, as we take communion, I pray, God, that by your Spirit, you just thrill us again with who you are, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.